Welcome to Guilty Treasures, a podcast about everything you ever loved and were afraid to talk about. I'm your host, Ann Kern. And I'm also your host, Emily Cardamus. And this week we have on comedian Glenn Tickle to talk about, uh, I'm not sure if I can get the full title of this movie correct, uh, but I believe I want to hear you attempt it. (laughs) Buckaroo Banzai and something something about a dimension i don't remember buckaroo bonsai was the only thing that stuck in my brain i mean that's really what everybody calls it is this buckaroo bonsai i mean it is technically um the adventures of buckaroo bonsai across the eighth dimension Uh, eighth okay i did think eighth dimension but would not have ever gotten those words in that order (laughs) had i not looked it up or you said it so here we are i mean he's really only in the eighth dimension very briefly so it's not a completely accurate title so i wouldn't worry about it too much but mostly in ours that is a very good point. In this entire conversation, we did not actually touch on what the eighth dimension was. And... (laughs) What are the other dimensions in between that? It, well, the eighth dimension is mostly a special effect, I think would be okay. Fair <laughs> the enough. main way to describe it. It's really, it kind of only briefly appears at the beginning of the film. And then, I mean, it's, it comes up as a plot point, but they don't really, they don't really get into it a whole lot. I think with most things in Buckaroo Banzai, the closer you get to it, the less sense it makes. So you really shouldn't worry too much. Yeah, I think like a lot of sci-fi movies, potentially from that era, it's just kind of a, it's kind of a fun romp and you're just kind of a long for the ride in a lot of cases, (laughs) especially in terms of understanding what anything means. But you know, Jeff Goldblum's here. We're going to have a good time. Yeah, I was debating whether or not in terms of films in the 80s that, that Jeff Goldblum specifically was in, if it makes more or less sense than Earth Girls are easy. I think they're about on par, really. I mean, Buckaroo Banzai is significantly more complicated, so I will give it I will give it that. But I have not read the uh, I have not read the source material now that we know that there is some. Sure, there could be hidden secrets that you know, are just not privy to either of us. Mm-hmm. But with that, let's get into the adventure. I thought you were going to say into the eighth dimension. Or, you know what, that too. Maybe it's the podcast dimension, we don't know. Could be. There we go. There you go. But yeah, well, thank you for taking this time to come on and talk with us tonight. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, If you could introduce yourself, maybe talk a little bit about what you do, and then introduce the topic you brought to talk about today. Sure. My name is Glenn Tickle. Uh, I'm a stand-up comedian. And today I would like to talk about my favorite movie, Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. I, so like... I always love when this happens, when people bring topics I know literally nothing about. <laughs> I get that a lot when I talk about this movie. <laughs> well, and this is this is like a, a real turning of the tables moment for me, because usually Emily knows something about the topic and I don't. And, and this time it's reversed because I have seen this movie many, many times. <laughs> So for for people who might not be uh, familiar with this movie, myself included. uh, So most people. (laughs) Yeah. Can you maybe give like, you don't have to give like a full like plot summary unless you want to. But like, could you give me a brief synopsis of what this movie is? Sure. So Buckaroo Banzai is a fairly low budget sci-fi movie that came out in 1984. Uh, It is about a scientist slash kung fu expert slash rock star slash particle physicist who invents a device to travel across dimensions and then the quickest answer is and then like bad aliens try to get it from him uh, and he has to stop it because those aliens enemies will blow up the whole earth if they get it okay yeah that seems pretty I was thrown by the like combination of roles, but otherwise, classic story. In the first twenty minutes of the movie, you see him perform brain surgery, drive a car through a mountain, uh, and then also perform a concert. So it's they throw a lot at you very quickly. Oh my gosh! So when was the first time you saw this film? Uh, only about like two years ago, like pretty recently. It's not, it seems like the kind of thing where it's like, I just have a bunch of nostalgia for it because I watched it as a kid or whatever. Sure. Uh, but no, I saw it as an adult. <laughs> and uh, during the concert scene, like 20 minutes in was when I decided that it was my favorite movie. <laughs> Yeah, I think that a lot of people probably, well, I don't know anyone who was old enough to have seen it in theaters that I can think of, but I, I definitely... I, I was in theory, like I was a yeah. baby, like I could have been 
brought to a theater to see it, but I did not. Yeah. It was one of those things where like, I'd heard of it and I don't know why I hadn't seen it because it's like 100% the kind of thing I was into. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just that it was, it, it really kind of bombed and then was hard to get like a VHS copy of anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like you mm-hmm. could maybe get a bootleg at a convention, but I don't think there was like a big release of it until the early 2000s on DVD. Yeah. So, so what? So, did you watch it? Oh, sorry. Well, no. I mean, I think we're probably going to ask the same question. Like, what was the context under which you decided this is the time? You know, because I think that a lot of times with with older movies that people are nostalgic for that you haven't seen, you kind of put off seeing it. I think you know, there's this weird like, oh man, what if I hate this movie, or I'll definitely hate this movie. Like, what were the circumstances that made you decide to watch it? I th- I'm, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I think it it was probably after my second daughter was born. She's about to turn uh-huh. two. So, because when you have a new baby, you're awake a lot <laughs> at night, just like holding a sleeping infant that you're hoping will stay asleep, <laughs> but you don't want to like move mm-hmm. and wake them up. So you're like trapped on the couch a lot. So I think that was the context. And then I was like scrolling through Amazon Prime and I saw it on there and I was like, oh, that's that movie I've heard of but never saw. Now's a good time to put it on. Uh, and then I, I put it on. And it was I was probably started watching it at like two in the morning, <laughs> like very sleep deprived. Ideal time to watch that film. <laughs> yeah. And it starts out really weird because it cuts between a scene of him performing brain surgery and like his team getting ready for this big jet car experiment. And it's hard to tell. Like, I remember being confused the first time I saw it. Uh, if because I didn't know which character was Buckaroo Banzai, mm-hmm. I thought it was Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> uh, who's in the movie. He's assisting Buckaroo with brain surgery. But if you look at just like a poster or art from it, you see usually Jeff Goldblum in like this ridiculous cowboy outfit. Mm-hmm. So to me, that ridiculous cowboy looks like somebody who would be named Buckaroo Banzai. So I'm like, sure. oh, I guess it's just that's. <laughs> I guess that's who it is, but it's not. And then you find out later that it was the same guy. I had a hard time following the beginning of it. And I've talked to people who don't like the movie and they're like, it doesn't make any sense. I'm like, you're right. But if you decide that you love it and you watch it, like I probably watched it every day for like the first three months that I found. Wow. Not like all the way through, but I would just like put it on when Mm -hmm. I needed something on. It's great. Yeah, I was going to say, I, again, having never seen the film, I was like, I'll look up the Wikipedia article just to, like, maybe have a basis of, like, a conversation topic, and I was reading it, and I'm like, I cannot follow this literally <laughs> yeah, it's at bananas. all. It's... <laughs> like, just saying it's a weird sci-fi movie is probably, like, very, very reductive, but also, like, when you try to get into specifics, it just makes it sound weirder than mm-hmm. it is, and it's very mm-hmm. weird. Because and I I looked into it like I've read the Wikipedia page. My my wife and children got me the novelization of it oh my nice. for Father's Day last year. But because I have two children and no attention span, like I still haven't finished it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's also not a great book. It's written from the character of Reno, which is like one of Buckaroo's sidekicks. And I don't know why they picked him yeah. <laughs> to be the voice of this story. <laughs> Because he's just, like, barely involved in anything going on. Uh, he's not in a lot of, like, important scenes. So he's just writing it as, like, oh, and then I heard that this happened. Uh, it's kind of hard to get through. But it's it's very weird. And there's uh, a special edition DVD that has the original beginning on it. And if you watch that, I think it, it makes the beginning make sense. Mm-hmm. Because the this cut scene is, uh, like, Buckaroo's actual, like, second in command narrating like home footage of buckaroo as a kid he's on site at an experiment his scientist parents are doing which is where they're trying to cross the dimensional barrier but then their jet car blows up and they both die and he like sees them and then the next scene is him doing that experiment and you're like well now this makes sense mm-hmm. like i understand why he's trying to do this there's now emotional stakes involved Mm -hmm. uh but because it was 1984 they're like no just do a big like star wars crawl recapping everything up to now yeah and but everything up to now doesn't make any sense and then you just see a bunch of people watching like a car almost blow up and like i guess it's fun um but the thing i read on the wikipedia page that stood out to me as really interesting was uh Earl Mac Rouch, the guy who wrote it, 
uh, just wrote like 30 Buckaroo Banzai stories. Hmm. Oh my gosh. Uh, and just like when they did the movie, just like picked huh. one from the middle. <laughs> like not, not the origin story or anything that sets up anything. Uh, so I explain, it's kind of like if you watched Return of the Jedi only. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> like, it's it's weird and fun like there's a story you can follow but there's also so much more going on right um like there's this there's this arch villain of the whole thing that's cut out of the movie completely mm. uh because he's the guy who kills bucker's parents and he kills his wife uh and he runs the world crime league and uh in the credits they say bucker bonsai will return in bucker bonsai against the world crime league but uh, that never happened because the movie bombed. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. It makes me a little bit sad every time. Every time I watch it. Like, See, oh, and I, I at some point in the '90s, having not had access to this Wikipedia information, had just concluded that the whole conceit of the film was that it was supposed to feel like the middle section of a serial, and that the you know they were sort of implying that these other storylines existed that didn't, that they had simply made yeah. up. Um, I mean, well, you make up stories anyway, but like things that never existed that they had not written and had not planned to write. Um, so it's interesting to find out that there actually was further context, especially given that there was very recently some buzz about a possible sequel, which I think is now not happening again, which is too bad. Yeah, um, there's a sequel script that exists. They, they've they done some comics. Um, Kevin Smith was going to do a TV series for a while. Uh, the big reason is no one's 100% sure who owns the rights to it anymore. Mm. Oh. Um, like, it's in a big confusing legal battle just because like it tanked so nobody really wanted it and then you know companies and studios buy and sell each other all the time so then when it came time to do more everyone's just kind of unsure who has to approve it um i know wd rector uh the guy he wrote uh big trouble in little china Mm -hmm. and he directed uh buckaroo bonsai um I also heard a conspiracy theory that Earl MacRouch isn't a real person and that <laughs> it's just a weird bit that, that W.D. Richter's doing. Wow. <laughs> uh, which makes a little bit of sense because in interviews and stuff, W.D. Richter acts like Buckaroo Banzai is a real person. Hmm. <laughs> okay. And that like all of this really happened and they just got it from like files from the Banzai Institute, <laughs> which uh, is, I guess, cute, but I, I just, it's so weird to me that he, Still, like to this day, <laughs> mm-hmm. they act like it is. I think he refers to it as a docudrama. Mm. Uh, they talk about all the other Buckaroo stories as like, oh, yeah, he told us all these things that happened to him. Like, you know, he's not a real guy. right? Like, it's Peter Weller. <laughs> and it's so I don't know where, like, the bit of that ends and where, like, W.D. Richter is just an insane person <laughs> who may or may not have invented a screenwriting friend wow <laughs> man now i kind of want them to um reboot it as like an alternate reality game that would be cool maybe instead of a film yeah there was like a commodore 64 game that i've tried to play and it's it's not fun <laughs> play, it's like a text-based game yeah. with some very bad like pixel art <laughs> associated with it so it's like a little bit more recent than like the the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy mm-hmm. text game oh okay but not quite as sophisticated as like Loom or the LucasArts uh, Indiana Jones mm-hmm. games from the 80s. Yeah. So it sounds like you've done like a really big deep dive sort of like on all of the like lore and mythos of, of this movie. Is that something you do often with like the media that you get really into or is this kind of a very individualized thing? It's been a while. It used to be like uh, I went to school for film and I was I was big into it. Um, so I remember like when Jurassic Park came out or w- or was coming out, like I got the book and I read a bunch of like dinosaur stuff. And then like Star Wars, I've always loved. So like I would any of like the behind the scenes stuff for that I could find. I would get really into. And then, yeah, I don't know the last time I got like really invested in a thing. And I, I was I probably just because like I'm in my late 30s now <laughs> and like have two kids. So. I don't have like a ton of time to invest in like, oh, daddy thinks this is interesting. It's like I just have to watch uh, whatever the kids are watching <laughs> unless they're asleep or whatever. Um, like Doctor Who, I'm very into as well. Like my older daughter is named after Amelia Pond and that there's like tons. There's, you know, 
60 years of that show and all kinds of books and stuff written on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, I feel like with Buckaroo Banzai, there's like a, a knowable amount of information. Yeah, sure. Because it's just, it's just the one movie and a couple comics and uh, like the, the sequel script that was floating around. But it's not like you have all this over what, like you're never going to know everything about Star Wars. You're never going to know anything about Doctor Who. Like there's a, a researchable amount of information about Buckaroo Banzai. Sure. You yeah. will eventually reach the end of the information. <laughs> yeah. I think what, what got it in my head to even want to watch it was it's mentioned in Ready Player mm-hmm. One, uh, as is pretty much everything else, because that's kind of the, the movie and book's whole deal mm-hmm. is just reminding people of other things. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember when that book came out, I had like a thousand people tell me that they would think I would like it, but I have ADD, so I don't, I don't get through books very fast, uh, so I never got to it. And then the movie came out, and it didn't look very good, but I had moved past, so I went anyway. <laughs> and it's, uh, I forget where, but at one point, like, he, the guy changes his avatar to have the suit from Buckaroo Banzai. And mm. I hadn't seen the movie, but I'm like, oh, that's a cool-looking suit. <laughs> and then that's, that stuck with me. And then when I was scrolling through uh, Prime, I was like, oh, right, that's that movie with the cool suit. And I watched it, and sure enough, yeah, it's a pretty cool suit. <laughs> it's the one he's wearing during the concert part when I decided that I love. Yeah, the, the costume design in that film is pretty impeccable. I would say a lot of a lot of yeah. uh, powerful menswear statements. For sure. <laughs> it's very uh, 1984 in its style, particularly the character of Perfect Tommy, who has shirts that match his suit jacket. At one point, he's also just walking around shirtless with a white blazer. <laughs> We love big collar, God. and it's yeah, it's pretty wild. I, I have to ask: Do we dabble into the like the future, but it's the eighties, like the eighties future aesthetic, where it's like this is what we think it'll be like, and it's just like the wildest bullshit you've ever seen? Uh, no, it uh. is just the it's it's current present day nineteen eighty four New Jersey for most okay. of it. Yeah, I wasn't um, sure if we're like, cause just because like with sci-fi, I always think of like, are we doing like future sci-fi or are we doing just like weird current day like stuff? Yeah, so, there's okay. space, space stuff. Got it. But, but not, there's, yeah, it's interdimensional travel and stuff from space, but no <laughs> time travel. There's a flashback. Okay. Nothing, nothing for. I think it's fair to say that it's kind of like a heightened version of the '80s, though. Like, I think they were, I think they were very deliberately trying to make it kind of cartoony or comic booky. Um, so they sort of push they they push the '80s style a bit, at least with the fashion. Maybe not so much with the rest of the film, but um, for parts of it, for sure, I think. But there were it had two uh, cinematographers on it. Uh, I don't remember their names. One was the guy who shot Blade Runner. So like all the really oh God, wow. kind of like heightened futuristic looking scenes, like the the concert scene really stands out as like yeah. well designed and like lit to look cool. Uh, and I, I don't remember the other guy or what he did other than a bad job. But <laughs> there's also parts of the movie where it looks like it's like an episode of 80s television. Yeah. Uh, there's one part where there's two hunters like that find one of the alien crafts in the woods. And it uh, it just seems like it's a scene out of the A Team, which is a great show, but not for its beautiful cinematography. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, they replaced the cinematographer halfway through the production, which is a wild choice. Yeah. Uh, the The studio never got behind the project that much. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was um, one of the cases of like a new executive came on board shortly after production started which is usually like when stuff gets shut down because they yeah. want stuff they can take credit for. So the producer on the movie was constantly trying to get them to shut it down. There's there's a scene where uh, Jeff Goldblum and uh, I forget his name, but the guy who plays Reno are like walking by in a lab and there's a watermelon and Jeff Goldblum asks why there was a watermelon and the other guy just says, I'll tell you later. The reason is because... Uh, they were just checking to see if the studio was even paying attention because <laughs> they would like send them back all kinds of notes yeah. uh, like Buckaroo wears these red glasses. And one of the notes was he can't wear glasses because he doesn't look cool. <laughs> and so they said, like, if we see him in those glasses one more time, we're going to cut funding for the movie. So they would just like do other stuff. So they did that watermelon thing. And then the studio didn't say anything about it. And they're like, all right, they're not even watching anymore. 
Get the glasses on them. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, it's it's the duck problem, which is like it's like a web design thing, or it's a design thing in general, where it's like when you get so many edits back, and then you just like put a duck in the corner of the page, and then they're like, all right, everything else looks great, uh, but just get rid of the duck, like. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like the I'm blanking on the producer's name. Uh, I was re- looking at the Wikipedia page earlier today too, so it'd be like fresh on all this stuff and mm-hmm. sound smart. But yeah, like he. They didn't get along at all. He kept trying to shut it down. And their like, W director was just like antagonizing him as much as he could. Oh, my gosh. Um, and I also 100% disagree on whether or not those glasses look cool. Because <laughs> after I saw the movie, I went online and ordered a pair, like the closest <laughs> pair of red glasses yeah. I could find uh, <laughs> to those ones. Hell, yeah. And I get a lot of compliments on them. <laughs> People go, oh, I like your glasses. And I go, thank you. They're the ones from Buckaroo Banzai. And then nobody, that's where the conversation <laughs> dies off. Because everyone's like, I don't, I don't know what that is. It's like, fair that's, point. That's powerful. I, I'm trying to imagine looking at Peter Weller in this film and, and not thinking that he looks extremely cool at pretty much everything he's doing. But uh, yeah, yeah. it's hard to understand what goes on in studio executives' minds sometimes. Some of the fashion in it, I don't think really stands the test of time. Uh, all these years later but yeah like peter weller legitimately looks pretty cool in every scene like there's a part where he's getting tortured uh and he's got like uh i don't think he's shirtless but i think it's like ripped open and he's all like sweaty and he's like strapped in i'm like yeah you look like a badass right now peter weller (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but i know that the one one of the designers or like the team that put together the jet car for Buckaroo Banzai did the DeLorean for Back to the Future and like the design of the jet car like heavily influenced the design for Back to the Future stuff because there's like the MacGuffin of the movie is this thing called an oscillation overthruster that allows you to travel dimensions so they kind of put put it in like a gyroscopic thing that turns uh, but one of the panels for it has like the kind of triangle light pattern of the flux capacitor Mm. yeah it's very similar yeah, I think that one of the producers, on, the other producer on Bonsai was a producer on the Back to the Future trilogy, if I recall my movie trivia correctly. I believe that may be the, the connection, the direct connection between the, the design influence there. Makes sense. Yeah, I've tried watching this with uh, my my older daughter. She said she didn't understand what was happening and she <laughs> thought the aliens were scary, oh, uh, no. which I mean, it's not it's not a horror movie like it's mm-hmm. it's it, she's seven so you know yeah uh if you put christopher lloyd in a monster mask yeah that's yeah, yeah sure and then my my wife has also not really watched it with me but been in the room while i'm watching it and will just <laughs> have no concept of what it is happening or why i love it so much mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask, like, uh, like outside of your family, have you shared it with other people or watched it with other people or told other people to watch it? Uh, I tell lots of people about it. Uh, like, I understand it's not for everybody. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't push it on people. I'm like, oh, you need to watch this. You will love it. Uh, I tell people that it is my favorite movie. It is also weird and they might not like it because most <laughs> of the people that I've talked to and they're like, I watched that movie. I don't understand <laughs> what about it. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't for a long time. I didn't either. And then I think kind of in the light of a global pandemic, I realized the thing about Buckaroo Banzai that appeals to me is essentially it is a story about a bunch of smart people in their 30s that uh, authorities are listening to and together they solve a world problem sure sure like i checked i checked today peter weller uh, was 37 when that movie came out which is my age now Mm. uh so it is i would say very much like an approaching middle-aged dad movie i think (laughs) or i guess like if you were 10 when it came out it just like had cool aliens and whatever right um yeah because i i think i i only know a few other people roughly my age that are very into the movie i did have a chance there was a a museum in philadelphia was doing a rooftop screening of it and i don't remember the exact reason i couldn't go but it was something it was because i had to spend time with my kids i don't remember the exact (laughs) event where i'm like i should probably not blow this off to go watch buckaroo bonsai (laughs) oh it was i was on tour and it would have been the day i got back so i was like gone for two weeks I'm like, yeah. I should not 
spend an extra night away to watch a movie I've seen 30 times instead of seeing my family. So is this a movie that you love in its entirety, you know, like completely or are there are there parts of it um, or characters or, or scenes or something that, that stand out the most for you that like those are the parts that you like and maybe there are some other parts that you're less keen on? Like, like when you think about this movie, like how do you think about it? Uh, I think about it fondly. Um, <laughs> not to, not to try to squeeze a plug in, but I was I bring it up on my podcast, uh, Improvised Wikipedia, a lot. And my mm-hmm. co-host John Lunger uh, hates this movie. <laughs> like he had never <laughs> seen it, and then I started talking about it all the time. And he's like, "I tried to watch it. It just doesn't make any sense. It's just dumb." <laughs> and uh, I told him, I'll give it to 20 minutes. Like, we just watch the first 20 minutes. And if you don't want to watch the rest of the movie, you don't have to. He's like, I don't want to. Like, All right. Oh, no. Because um, I think the moment I decided it was my favorite movie was, uh, so you see the, the brain surgery and the jet car experiment where he goes through dimensions and drives through a mountain. Uh, and then he's playing... At, at a rock club in New Jersey and in like the middle of a song he just stops and asks if there's somebody not having a good time and I'm like yeah all right I'm on board like because at that point it's just so there's so much being thrown at you that you're like all right, I don't I don't care anymore that this is so insane like he's just uh it the song's pretty good and then he just shuts it down in the middle of it because there's like one uh she's like the the love interest of the movie is like crying. Uh, and like, if you go back and watch it, like you can see, you can see her in the audience, but mostly you just see people doing bad dancing because like, you can tell they were just like in a giant silent room being told to dance. Uh, Everyone's doing a bad job. It is, but it's very silly, but also like the thought of the, as a character is like, Oh, he's, like I'm on board with him as a character because he's he's so focused on what he's doing that like he picks out the one person who is not having a good time and wants them to have a good time, mm-hmm. which I think I relate to as like a comic. Like it's a common thing if you talk to comedians. Like we are not really listening to the people who are laughing. Like we're staring at who's not enjoying it and like very determined to kind of win that person over. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was. I bring this story up a lot and it's a story that Pete Holmes tells and I don't remember who it's about. Uh, but there's a comedian. He's like killing on stage. Everybody's having a good time except for like one dog. One guy is just like mad dogging him in the front row. He just hates him. He's not laughing at anything. His arms are folded. And the comic just turns to him and says, sir, I agree with you, but we're outnumbered. And <laughs> oh like that's, I think about that a lot. Cause like, yeah, like if there's somebody not enjoying a show, like that's who I'm paying attention to. Uh, so that's what I think what made him relatable as as a character. And then also like, I don't know, just being like a big science nerd myself. Like it's it's nice to have that be the hero instead of just uh, like even in Independence Day, another Jeff Goldblum weird space science movie. He's helping. But Will Smith is the hero of the movie. Like uh, it's Will Smith and then the president and then the crazy guy who blows up the airplane mm-hmm. but like jeff goldblum's just kind of there also like he's not the hero but in buck rubanza i was like oh yeah here's a bunch of scientists that are also rock stars and he's it's the time there's a couple of times in the movie where people like just non characters like he just walks by and somebody goes oh it's buck rubanza like everybody knows who this guy is um, he's in the in the world of the movie he is like the most famous person in the world Mm-hmm. which is kind of like James Bond for nerds. I think as a character, he is kind of like James Bond for nerd. I think that's a, that's an apt description. I, I do have to ask, does him being a rock star, like become relevant at some point, or is that just kind of <laughs> no, like fun? That, it doesn't <laughs> like he needs to be a particle physicist for the story to make sense. Sure. And the brain surgery thing in the crawl, uh, that they forced in there, like it, it explains he was a doctor and then he, didn't want to just devote his whole life to medicine so he like traveled the world uh like batman year one style and then that's like where he met all of his uh sidekicks the hong kong cavaliers as they are collectively known and he like picked up all these other skills and stuff along the way but yeah the fact that they're also a band doesn't play into it at all (laughs) 
That's extremely good. That makes me so happy. Like the only thing, like that would be the thing they're famous for outside of like science. Right. Because there's like, there's well-known scientists. Like most people know Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson, but like if they cut a sweet album, yeah, like (laughs) way more people would know who they were. Clearly, we just have to get we just have to get more more scientists and more doctors. Like, just teach them an instrument and have yeah. them go have fun. <laughs> yeah, or like when Chris Hadfield recorded uh, "Space Oddity" on the space station and put it out. Like that mm-hmm. was huge for uh, the week that people will remember it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not it's not a perfect movie. Uh, for the other half of that question, <laughs> like there's absolutely. Like, it 100% looks like it was made in 1984. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so, stylistically, it doesn't, like, hold up that well. It Parts of it do look really cheap, which, I mean, they didn't have a ton of money. So, it was, in fact, cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, the effects look pretty bad a lot of the times. <laughs> like, And it kind of gets... The thing is, like, it gets worse as you go. <laughs> like, it starts off... All the jet car stuff looks really cool because they really built a jet car and... And launched it in the desert. So like wow. all the, the footage of them driving a car with like flame shooting out of the back, it's because they built a car that shot flames out of the back <laughs> and drove it around the desert. Uh all and then like the rock club stuff looks cool because it was the guy who shot Blade Runner. And then there's a couple other scenes that look pretty okay. And then when uh all the alien stuff, like the design of it is really cool because it was supposed to be like kind of all organic machinery and not uh, it's not like metal. It's like the spaceship appears to like be alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it all looks like on paper was very cool, but kind of in practice, it didn't all come together that well. The alien masks, I think, do look really nice because um, I'm blank. It's Christopher Lloyd, and then I forget the other two. They're like w- well-known character actors. Where like you would, if you looked up who they were, you'd be like, oh yeah, those guys. The one mm-hmm. was the dad in Clueless. And then the other guy, he's been in a bunch of things. He's like famous for being tall and weird looking. Uh, I think you're thinking of John Lithgow. And, well, uh, John Lithgow. No, John in Lithgow's it and, in it. He's the main and villain. And wait, who's the other? Oh, yeah, I know who you're thinking of. And I'm blanking. He's on one of bad the bad it. guys in Death to Smoochie. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, you're right. He is in that. I always want to say Terry Savalas, but that's not. It's um, I I mess up his name all the time. I can't remember it. But the, yeah, and the other guy's the dad from Clueless. And yeah, it's uh, when they have their alien masks on like you can tell it's christopher lloyd from those other two guys like even when they have the mask on Mm -hmm. and there's a great running joke because christopher lloyd's character is john big bootay but jonathan lithgow keeps mispronouncing it as john big booty sure and lithgow has this insane italian accent uh, in the movie because he is he's playing an italian scientist who is possessed by one of by the the evil leader of these aliens uh because <laughs> in an earlier experiment to cross the dimensional barrier he only crossed part of the way mm, and okay. so he basically comically gets his head stuck in a wall like instead of going through the wall just his head does and he's like his arms and legs are sticking out of it and like he's kicking and that like the the alien leader uh Lord John Warfarin like somehow possesses him and the one thing, even though I said the book isn't very good, the one interesting part is there are scenes where uh, Warfarin is talking to the scientist, uh, Emilio Lazardo, because in the movie, it's just one insane guy trying to kill everybody. But in the, in the story of it, it is a scientist who has this evil alien in his head who is also trying to stop the evil alien. And it's like really interesting, but that doesn't come across in the movie at all. Uh, and then the other thing that's in the book and not the movie is like this arch villain uh, of Hanoi Zan, who is the leader of the World Crime League. But they thought it would be too confusing for the movie audiences. So they took out all the references. That's why they cut the scene from the beginning, because it references Hanoi Zan and the World Crime mm-hmm. League. So they took it out. But that's like the least confusing thing about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like the fact that there is a supervillain. Like, I think in 1984, it tracks pretty well for everybody. But you leave in everything else of this very weird movie. And I feel like it makes less sense. Sure. <laughs> I agree. I think it does make less sense. Yeah, like Team Bonsai 
does this thing that Emilio Lozardo and Buckaroo's parents were working on years ago. And then it's Hanoi Zan is the one who like sets Lord Warfarin free essentially from his insane asylum in New Jersey. And yeah, like having like this big puppet master behind everything like makes it more interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my friend John, who I said hates it, makes fun of me because I was explaining to him like I love the movie that this could have been, I think more than the movie itself. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the story of it has so it's so rich and like could be so much more. But, it, you know, in 1984 with a limited budget, like you get what you get. But yeah, like it would I would love to see like uh, I know a lot of times they'll, they'll like announce a, like I think I just saw a Labyrinth sequel get announced today mm-hmm. and I saw a bunch of people like complaining about it. I would love to see a reboot or a sequel or something else done for this just because like there's so much more of that world that they could explore yeah. and also because i don't think they did a very good job the first time <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that's a fair summary of kind of the experience of nostalgia like even though you didn't see this as a as a kid that you've kind of recaptured that feeling of being attached to the ideas that the movie was trying to get across or your version of the film that that you've uh, extrapolated from what they yeah. were trying to do. Because I think that's very much like if you go back and because I did see this as a, as a child and I think that my sort of impression of it was much I don't want to say better. Better feels really mean. Um, grander, I think it was. A, it was a grander vision of of what they were trying to convey. And and if you go back and you look at the reality, that's not there. But you're still attached to the idea that they were able to give you that kind of the imagination that you used to fill in those gaps. Right. And I think like if you have an adult friend who's not seen Goonies, like mm-hmm. they're not going to love it sure. uh, because it's silly, like on its face and. A lot of us remember it really fondly because when you're nine, uh, it's incredible because there's a yeah. pirate ship and there's bad guys and they're on an adventure and they say shit and damn sometimes, which is very <laughs> exciting. Um, but yeah, like if you if you go back and watch it already having seen it and liking it, it's still fun to watch. But like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine if if I I don't. It might have just been because it was like really late and I was tired because of a baby, <laughs> but like. I do. I think I agree. Like, that's kind of how I see this movie of like, it does almost feel nostalgic, even though I, I really did only find it pretty recently. Well, and it's funny. It's it's funny you mentioned Goonies because I'm someone who saw Goonies when I was an adult for the first time. And I loved it because I think it for my experience was it was like capturing kind of that like naivete of sort of being a little kid and watching a fun, silly movie. Yeah. And and I, and I think that's that's almost like what a lot of those, I think, you know, 80s sci-fi movies really try to get down to. It's like they're kind of silly and campy in a lot of different ways, but they're sort of unabashed about it. And there's that sort of thing of like when you're an adult watching it going like, oh, right, like this is fun. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it's fun. Right. And I think that's like my wife also likes Doctor Who, but when I watch like the old ones, she's not as into it because she just sees like the bad <laughs> set decorations sure. and silly masks and she's like right. well, this is ridiculous mm-hmm. but i think because i had seen like old episodes as a kid uh like my friend had a couple like tom baker cassette tapes that we would watch and i'm like okay so like from an early age i remember seeing like weird and like i watched a bunch of weird cheap sci-fi as a kid so like i can i'm more forgiving of like a rubber monster mask i think than sure. my wife or most people uh but yeah like it's it's easier to get somebody on board with like modern doctor who than 1960s doctor who just because it's closer to what they're used to just in terms of like storytelling and effects i mean even though some of the it's still a tv show so the effects aren't Mm -hmm. always that great sometimes you get like a giant wasp like in the agatha christie episode that looks (laughs) very cartoonish (laughs) but again like that's a great episode so you kind of forgive the cartoon yeah. wasp you don't have to forgive nearly as many uh, monsters with zippers up their back uh in in current doctor who at least right <laughs> but i think with this movie in particular it's like oh i mean also like i said i went to school for film like i made a movie and we didn't have like really any money mm-hmm. so like when i i haven't watched it in a while but like i stand by the script that i wrote for that movie i'm still very proud of it and we'll show it to people but like mm-hmm. I don't want anybody to ever watch that movie again <laughs> just because it's imp- like it 100% looks like I made it 
I stayed in college an extra year so that I could keep using the school's equipment to make this movie. Uh, we had no money and like we shot it in not enough time and it 100% looks like it. But like if I shot the same script on my phone today, it would look a thousand times better and mm. it drives me crazy. So I'm like, yeah, I think I'm more forgiving of like, <laughs> oh yeah, like if they had more time and money and like if the, the mean producer was more behind them, I think it could have been something really special. But um yeah, I don't know. I can see its flaws. For yeah, sure. I mean, I think before we wrap up, I'm curious about like the flaws in the film and and like do you, do you feel like flaws are inherently something that always sort of detracts from what the filmmakers were trying to do and from your experience as an audience member, or do you have any kind of attachment to the idea of those flaws being there? I I remember reading. I think it was like Amazon reviews of the dvd or something because i was trying to find the special edition that had that scene like there's a dvd that has that scene as like a bonus feature the mm -hmm. original opening mm -hmm. but there's i had heard that there's a, another version that just had like it's just that scene instead of the crawl so i was trying to find that one but apparently it's a special edition and they like fixed some of the other problems in the movie or tried to like Almost like Star Wars special edition style mm -hmm. um, where like the scene where Emilio Zardo gets stuck in a wall. You can see pretty clearly there's just a hole cut out in the wall, <laughs> but they fixed it so that you couldn't. And then some like somebody gave that version a bad review because they fixed it. And they're like, oh, it, like takes away from the charm because like you can't see that there's a hole there. I'm like, ah, I don't know if that's true, but I think. The fact that it's not perfect, I think, does uh, help endear it to me because then, like like I said, like I can see the movie that I want this to be and, like, that's the thing that I love more than mm -hmm. the actual, like, 1984 film. But it is, like, there's enough in that movie to interest me and, like, it, it got me excited about, like, I, when I, I didn't know there wasn't another one, so you get to the credits and it says there's a sequel <laughs> and then I got very excited and found out that it wasn't true. Like within a span of five minutes, so because like, because oh, no. of the internet, I was like, oh, I'm gonna find this out, and then it, I found out that it what they never made it, and I was uh, very sad because it was four in the morning or whatever by the time I finished <laughs> yeah. it. What a devastating time to learn that information. <laughs> yeah, it was a rough couple of minutes uh, because it went like from the span of watching this movie, it went from like this thing that I'd sort of heard of to now I've decided is my favorite movie. Oh, good. There's another one. No, there's not. There's no. nothing. Um, but then I did find the comics and uh, there's a great interview with Kevin Smith talking to Peter Weller uh, about it. And they, I think they did a screening and then there was like a post screening Q and a with him where he talks about it. And it's very, very much not that he doesn't like it, <laughs> but uh it doesn't seem like this is Peter Weller's favorite thing that he's mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. He talks about it as he's like, I didn't understand what was happening. And I, I think you can a hundred percent see it in the performance. Like he delivers <laughs> lines very, very dryly a lot of the time. And mm -hmm. my other friend who, who does like this movie, my friend Chris, he's like, no, no, no. I think that's like on purpose because it shows that he's so calm and collected all the time. Like he's not like get to him. I'm like, I mean, I, I think you're giving it too much credit. I think he just doesn't understand why he's saying the things he has to say. And I think it's some of it. it there's jokes in it. I think that you don't necessarily realize are jokes the first couple of times, mm -hmm. or at least I didn't, but there are parts of it that are like legitimately very funny. Which, like, I think when he stops in the middle of a, sh of a concert and tells his band to shut up because he wants to make sure everyone's having a good time. I'm like, <laughs> that's very funny to me. Uh, sure. And then he plays her this really sad song from the 50s. But again, like, in the book, you find out that was, like, the song that he would always sing to his wife who is dead. And then you find mm -hmm. out that the woman in the audience is, it is either a clone or his dead wife's lost twin sister, which sounds... Incredible, like soap opera level cheesy. <laughs> but again, if you if you look at it as like there's this huge supervillain who's hell bent on controlling all the crime in the world and also destroying Buckaroo Banzai, like he might have sent a clone of this woman because he like maybe she's a bad guy. Like it adds a layer mm. of kind of intrigue mm. to the story. Whereas if you just watch this movie 
and you find out, oh, it's just my dead wife's twin sister uh, who were like, were like separated at birth. I'm like, well, that's just that's straight out of a soap opera nonsense. Like, that's not that compelling. <laughs> but that's why. Yeah. Like, that's why he sings the song. And then like his team knows that that's the song he always sang. So they're that's why they're all confused by this woman. And then there's a scene where they argue whether or not it's the same woman. And it's Ellen Barkin who plays uh, It's Penny Pretty in the movie and, and Peggy is his dead wife. And there's a picture of them like, yeah, that's just him and Ellen Barkin. How do you not tell? It's the same woman. <laughs> She's right here. It's 100% the same. <laughs> Although I did just see my friend uh, posted a picture that m- the meme of the the guy and his girlfriend walking and the guy mm. oh, is yes. checking out the other girl and the girlfriend's sure. like making a face at him that woman is in a commercial for something else and my friend posted a picture of the meme and then a picture of the woman in the commercial and he asked is this the same woman and like she's wearing the same shirt like it's clearly <laughs> from the exact same photo video shoot for whatever stock photo company that came from sure. and his wife's like no that's not the same woman i'm like it's uh, like the color is a little different in the two pictures he put up because one was he took a picture of his TV. I'm like it's other than that, sure. it's it, there's no question that anyone <laughs> without what I forget the the medical term for face blindness without that like it's absolutely the same woman. Mm-hmm. So that's and Team Bonsai is like a dozen people strong, and then there's also like because uh, there's 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 Buckaroo, there's the Hong Kong Cavaliers. And then there's Blue Blazer regulars, which are just like a network of avid Buckaroo Banzai fans who want to help him, including a little kid named Scooter whose dad owns a gas station that also sells couches and who owns a helicopter. What? They never address why his gas station sells couches or why he has a helicopter other than it fits in the story that we need a helicopter. It's never it's never addressed. They're just there. Oh my god. He's talking he appears to be selling a couch to a couple when his son tells him that Buckaroo Banzai is in trouble and then he then they get in the helicopter and go rescue him. Just when I think we've like hit the peak of absurdity of like you talking about this movie, you just like just like there's another mountain behind you. Yeah. Like, oh, like I know this one. It's so crazy to me. And that's I think uh like when before they adapted Watchmen twice. Everybody talked about how, like, oh, you couldn't ever adapt it because it's too dense. Uh, I know, like, before the movie, it was going to be an HBO series, and then obviously after the movie, it was it was an HBO series, but they did it as a, a sequel rather than an adaptation. And I think, uh, I think this movie would do well as I would love to see like an HBO prestige series version <laughs> of Buckaroo Banzai. Because there's so much crazy stuff going on in the movie that, like, I would love to see a whole episode. Because it's been a thing in the last couple of years where, like, every season of a TV show has to have one episode that kind of breaks format. Mm-hmm. Like, in BoJack Horseman, like, the one season, they did a episode completely underwater. And then the season after that, they did it where the whole episode is him giving his mom's eulogy. Uh, and I I don't know why both my examples are from the same show, but... If you watch for it, you'll notice uh, Solar Opposites, the new uh, Justin Roiland show that just came out. There's an episode where a bunch of people get shrunk down and have to live in a wall, but they're like D-list characters. And there's one episode that just focuses on them. Uh, I would like to see one episode of just Scooter and Casper Lindley operating a gas station slash couch store. <laughs> and maybe they buy a hell like where'd the helicopter come from right <laughs> the deep helicopter backstory yeah or like why couches right like maybe it could be like a full-on like better call Saul like spin-off yeah series i would love it <laughs> and there's another there's a podcast called five minutes of bonsai where they break it down into five minute clips and have different guests on to talk about it and like great detail uh that i've listened to and they were talking about it as like well you don't see they basically hypothesized that you don't see the mom so maybe she always wanted to run a furniture store 
but he had a gas station. And so she died and he sells couches now out of his gas station as like a memorial. I'm like, that's very sweet. Like that. I would love to see oh that spinoff. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I feel like that's a good place to, to roll into. So typically what we ask people um, is, and, and we've kind of touched on this briefly, but I, I want to go back to it. If you had to elevator pitch this movie to someone of like, this is why you should give it a shot. This is why you should watch it. You know, they have no knowledge of it before. What would, what would be your sort of quick pitch of this movie? Uh, I mean, I've done this a lot because <laughs> I mm-hmm. got to do it to Emily at this uh, point because she right. hasn't seen it yet. I mean, I'm sold to be fair, but... <laughs> Uh, I, I usually do specifically, I'm like, this is my, my favorite movie and not because it's like a movie I loved as a kid. Like I saw it as an adult and decided mm-hmm. it was my favorite. There's a lot going on. It's very confusing. But if you just like accept, uh, that Buckaroo Banzai is a brain surgeon, particle physicist, who's also the uh, rock star and the most famous man in the world, then like you can get on board with the weird story pretty quickly. Uh, but I always tell people to just give, give the movie the first 20 minutes. And if you're not on board at that point, it's probably not for you because it doesn't get better after that. Like, sure. Sure. once they leave the rock club, it is kind of like a downhill slide into just like nonsense. Uh, mm-hmm. But also, like the end credit sequence is cool as hell. It is all of the char- mm-hmm. It's all the good guy characters rappelling down into the L.A. River and like strutting to the bonsai march. But when they filmed it, they didn't have that part written yet. So they just did uh, Billy Joel's Uptown Girl. <laughs> so it's a bunch of uh, it's a, a bunch of people like dance walking through the L.A. River to Uptown Girl. But then they replaced us. They replaced it with the, the theme for the movie. And yeah, they're all just ha- like they're just having a nice time and smiling. <laughs> and a character who died is there and they don't explain why. They're like, I don't know if it's like a weird curtain call because it's not after the events of the movie or he wouldn't be there because he died. But also Scooter and Casper Lindley are there. So it couldn't have been before the events of the movie because they wouldn't have known them yet. Uh, So it's just this weird like just what's the coolest way we can go out because it's 1984. We need this to look cool as hell. And I think they nailed it. It does, in fact, look cool as hell. Well, I'm sold. I mean, I <laughs> I need to watch this movie immediately. <laughs> I don't know if it's on Prime, uh, but if you have Hoopla through your library subscription, which everyone should have a library card because my wife's a librarian and I have to say that. <laughs> but also, like, you can get uh the like your library probably has an ebook service or a video streaming service uh one of them that they might have is called hoopla and it is streaming on there so you can watch it for free for your library subscription it might also be on amazon prime but they take it on and off of there pretty regularly like Mm. that's where i found it and then after watching it every day for three months they took it off uh And then I, I cry in the middle of the night because for a while I would like put it on and then fall asleep during it because it was like so comforting at that point. Sure. And then I was having, uh, I couldn't fall asleep and my kids had kept me up and they were finally out. I'm like, I'm just going to put Buckaroo Banzai on and go to bed. And then it wasn't on Prime anymore and it wasn't oh, streaming no. anywhere else. It was rough. And then I found out that it was on Hoopla. So I signed up for the library card at not my wife's library at the other one in my town. <laughs> It was very scandalous. <laughs> and do you have a, a yeah? Sort of... I mean, we already we already kind of talked about it, but I I I just I want to give you the opportunity to narrow it slightly. So I usually ask a hypothetical question, and we've already talked about this. But if you were for some reason in charge of or influential in the decisions about a sequel or a spinoff or some other iteration in the Buckaroo Banzai universe. Do you have some people that you think would be the best folks? Do you have a storyline that you think would be the best choice? And also, would you want to be involved? Uh, I would absolutely want to be involved. Uh, I know other people who would also like to be involved. I, I tweeted at one point uh, that... I. If they ever do another one, I should get to write it. And then John Hodgman mm-hmm. told me to get in line. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, well, so, well. So I know, I know he would like to be involved. Um, 
but most of the most of Buckaroo's sidekicks in the Hong Kong Cavaliers, uh, their nicknames are like a place. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum plays a character named New Jersey. His real is his doctor is White Bell, but his nickname is New Jersey. So if there is one for like uh, New England, then Hodgman can be New England. I will be New Jersey, <laughs> but I think I should. I would still like to write it. Um, but I was very excited when. And I didn't find out until it was already dead. But the idea of Kevin Smith working on a series of this, I got very excited about because I was a big Kevin Smith nerd in high school because I was a fat guy from New Jersey who wanted to make movies. Um, (laughs) But yeah, when I I didn't know that he was going to do one until it already wasn't happening. Yeah. Um, But I'm trying to think that's just like, oh, I like this movie. I like Kevin Smith's stuff. But. I'm trying to think of who would do a better job. Not me. Like I would like to say, oh, I will direct it. <laughs> but having directed a movie, it is very hard. Uh, and I, I think I'm better at uh, writing than directing things. I'm trying to think of like what's the closest thing that exists to the movie that I think this could be like in reality. Um, it might be the Watchmen series that was just on HBO hmm. because it is also bananas. Like, if you just describe things that happened on that show to somebody, like, oh, you got to watch this show. Little baby squids fall out of the sky all the time. Uh, there's a guy <laughs> with a mirror mask. Uh, it's it, like, it doesn't make any sense when you just say those sentences. But mm-hmm. together as a whole, like, I think they really did pull it off. Like, that could have been very bad, as people who hate the Watchmen movie will tell you. Um, mm. <laughs> I'm not one of them, but I know a lot of them. <laughs> But yeah, I think I would pitch it to that creative team. Damon Lindelof, I think, was in charge mm-hmm. of that one. Yep. Uh, I would like to get him involved. Sorry, I have a dog outside. <laughs> yeah, I think mine keeps. I'm sorry if you can. It's, I think it's getting picked up on my computer mic, but hopefully not on my my nice one. But my dog is like yeah. click clacking through on the hardwood every couple <laughs> of minutes. No, it's totally fine. Yeah, I don't know. One of my na- one of my downstairs neighbors has a dog, and like normally times we don't ever hear it except for apparently when i'm recording (laughs) but yeah but anyway um well thank you so much glenn for sharing this with us this was a delight oh thank you for having me is there anything um anything you want to plug where can people find you online this is your space so please feel free to use it yeah uh if people go to glentickle.com uh you can find uh, links to everywhere that i am on the internet is there but i'm at just at Glenn Tickle with one N in Glenn on everything. I have a comedy special that I put out conveniently right at the beginning of a global pandemic. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's called Good Grief, a comedy about loss and being bad at it. Uh, you can get it directly from me. It is also streaming on Amazon, but then their workers went on strike and I told people not to watch it there. I, I'm working with a distributor, so I can't just like take it off myself where I probably would. But you can just, you can, if you go to my site, you can do a pay what you want rental so you can watch it for free if you would like. It is an hour of comedy I recorded about the difficult topic of my younger brother's death. It is funnier than that sounds. And I put it out in March. We shot it the end of last year in Brooklyn. And then I have another special coming out unrelated to death through Dry Bar Comedy sometime this year, but they have not given me a release date yet. And I'm also the founder of Circus Trapeze Records, which is a comedy record label that I started when I put my first album out that I recorded four years ago. Uh, We have two albums in pre-order for Ricky Glore. His album is called Spitting Image. It is a clean comedy album, if that is important to you. It's also very funny, but he always works clean and he likes people to know that. And then I also just launched the pre-order for Madeline Smith's album, Bell of the Ball. It is not clean. (laughs) It is also very funny, but you can find those and all the other albums I've produced on uh, circustrepeze.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much again. This is great. Sure, thank yeah, you thank for you. having me. Hopefully we'll we'll have you back at some point when you're doing a, a Bucker Bonsai anthology series with Kevin <laughs> Smith and John Hodgman. <laughs> We'd love to. <laughs> for listening to guilty treasures you can follow us on twitter at treasurescast if you have questions or comments hit us up there or at our email guilty treasurescast at gmail.com or 
Just send us a picture of a watermelon with no explanation. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. And if you like the show, tell a friend. Or tell Kevin Smith and John Hodgman we have the rights to Buckaroo Banzai. Until next time, let the dragon in your heart be happy. (laughs) 